Welcome to Women in Science, a podcast series where we interview some inspiring women who are breaking barriers in their fields and making remarkable contributions to research. We chat to them about the science they love and their unique journey as scientists. I'm Dr. Kirsty Short, and in this episode, we meet the founding director of the UQ Protein Expression Facility, Dr. Linda Loire. Welcome to another Women in Science podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Linda Loire. Linda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsty. So as we always tend to start with our guests, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Where did you do your education? Where did you grow up and how did you get here? So I actually grew up in Singapore and I did part of my studies in Singapore. And I have to say that, you know, adult, this is a podcast about women in science, but when I was studying um Science in school, I didn't like it at all. I actually went like, oh, this is so hard. This is too difficult. And it's only in the last year or so in, in my what we call secondary school that I took an interest in biology. And that's when I, I got interested in science. Then I went on and did my diploma in biotechnology. Uh, so did that for three years, graduated with that and really enjoyed that and really like it. And I wanted to pursue further to get a degree in biotechnology, but we didn't have biotechnology in Singapore. So, you know, was it a pretty new field at that time? It was quite new. I think I was actually the second or third batch of our uh, wow, yeah. biotechnology. So I, I looked around and then was recommended how about looking at potentially coming to Australia. I actually came to Australia for eight weeks to do a, in sort of an overseas placement. I liked it, so I decided to stay and you know, as in pursue my degree here. I got credits and did two years of you know biotech and then gone straight into my honours. It was crazy then because, you know, we were doing like eight subjects a, a semester, or nine subjects a semester. They let us do that then, not now. Wow. So every time you hear a student <laughs> complain now about their two subjects, it's... Uh... I have very little sympathy. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, so I finished my uh, honours in biotech. I uh, then was given a great opportunity to pursue my PhD and I got full scholarship. So it was really hard to turn down. Mm. Although my parents was like, well, you promised to go away for two years. What happened to that two years? Yep. And then after 25 years, I'm still here. So they do remind me, where's that two years? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation. <laughs> yeah, so I finished my PhD and then I got a UQ postdoctoral fellowship. I finished my UQ postdoctoral fellowship and I, I should say that in my PhD, I was working on um, developing, you know, a baclavirus as mm-hmm. a biopesticide. So uh, cotton uh, bollworm and corn earworm was such a big problem mm-hmm. in Australia. So causing loss of, you know, tens and hundreds of million dollars every year. So I wanted to develop a biological control product that we can use out in the field. So of course, during my PhD, I found all the reason why it's so hard to do it and then you know pretty much then the fellowship the postdoctoral fellowship you know which was linked to the industry was to find the solution now there's like now give us a solution give mm. us a manufacturing solution and I, I, I really liked that but I thought I'd stay in the lab for the same lab for you know a few years now it's time for me to venture out then I was given this opportunity to say you know would you like to use your skills to start a core facility at UQ uh, Quite a different direction yeah then. a very different direction to really 
really use your research expertise and skills to build a facility to help researchers, to help them accelerate their research. Mm. Although part of me went like, oh, this is really interesting. It's going to be very challenging mm. because very naively at that time, you know, you just did two and a half years of postdoc. What do you know, right? Yep. About setting up a lab, setting up your group, setting up a core facility. So I decided, okay, I'll, I'll take that as a challenge. But I did get a lot of advice, like, don't do it. It's going to kill your career. At that time, it was looked at and looked upon as, this is a service role. Why do you want to go into that? People usually would go into a research service role if they sort of don't want to do research anymore, mm. don't want to stay as an academic anymore. And I did have options. You know, I was given a more senior postdoc role, you know, to position to go into but really, it sort of was a bit naive, I would say, and determined and say, who said you can't do it? I, I, I'm sure we can do this. And I really like the idea of how I can help researcher progress further with my skills. So I took up that challenge, started Protein Expression Facility in 2004, and that's where I am today. There's a lot I want to unpack <laughs> about that story. I think I want to go way back to the beginning when you said that initially you weren't interested in science. And I think that's really important for people to hear because a lot of people have this idea that a scientist is somebody who knows from three years old that they want to do science. And as somebody who came later to the table myself, I completely identify with your stories. So what made you think all of a sudden in those later years of high school that maybe biology was interesting? So I think because in the earliest years, we were doing um, physics and chemistry. Mm. And I just couldn't relate to how, that, how to apply that. And so to me, it was like very dry. And it was actually really only in the last year a biology, you know, a teacher came in and started to talk about, I mean, I could still remember her message. She was talking about how food, you know, get digested in our body, what it was doing, what was happening. And I go, oh, that's interesting. At least I know, you know, why I'm studying science, you know, what mm. I can use that knowledge for. And then I, I learned more about the biotech field is really using science in an applied way that's going to benefit the society, you know, benefit human, benefit uh, environment. And that really got me thinking, like, I can use science for a purpose. Mm. Although, yeah, I did go against and rebel everybody's goodwill and advice, <laughs> like, don't do this. <laughs> but it sounds like already you had that very early interest of finding a solution to a problem. And I think that's what drives a lot of scientists. Yes. Coming back to really starting up this facility from scratch, and, you know, you mentioned that there was a lot of let's say, naysayers. How did you cope with that? And did that, did that ever undermine your confidence where if you're hearing, I think a lot of people, they hear all this, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do that. And it's, it's very easy to believe that. Yeah. How, did you, how did you overcome that? If you ask my family, they would say that she's generally rebellious anyway. <laughs> so, you know, that's part of her personality. Yeah. I think I looked at it more in terms of, okay, I can't understand why you tell me I can't do that until... I, I, there's a valid reason why mm. not. So I like to go with why not. You know, mm. I see a purpose here. Why are you telling me this can't be done? So I tend to be more looking at the possibility and the opportunities kind of person than looking at, okay, this cannot be done because we have these hurdles, we have these barriers, etc. I mean, they're, they're always going to be there, right? That's mm. the journey. Um, mm. And again, I, I, I would say that maybe because I was much younger much more naive, think I could conquer the world. <laughs> so that worked in your favour, though. So what, what ch were some of the biggest challenges you did face when you moved into this new role? Because I could imagine 
you know, now it's not just about the research, it's also about business. And exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in science, right, they don't teach you anything about soft skills. They don't teach you anything about what's a business model. How do you write a business plan? How do you market, you know, your service or how you market your products? How do you relate with people? How do you, you know, know what's the target market? Mm. Who's your target audience? Um, how do you talk to them in the language? How do you put it into simple terms? You don't learn that when you're studying, you know, basic science. So essentially, you know, I go like, okay. This is something I'm interested in, something I can learn. So as I went along, I just have to really equip myself, basically be proactive, equip myself in different areas. I have to say that when I was doing biotech here at UQ, that really helped me because we were doing what we call a commercialization of biotechnology. And I was, during my honours years, I was already writing, learning how to write business plans mm -hmm. and proposal. And that already got me thinking in, in that way. So that was helpful. But definitely, you know, skills like how do you recruit people? How do you retain people? How do you develop your talents? How mm. do you build a team? So those are the things that I think you can learn. And I, I was reading a lot, you know, that time we didn't have podcasts, by the way. <laughs> so you got to read books about, you know, uh, developing leadership skills, developing yourselves in different areas. I signed up for lots of staff development courses then, mm. you know, some really good, some I'm got, not sure how I applied it. And so really, it's just going about and say, okay, rather than looking at it as, okay, I don't have the skills to do them, but that, okay, that's an opportunity for me to learn something new. And then I, I just went for it. So is that something you would recommend to anyone who is listening to this podcast who is thinking, oh, I come from a more traditional science background, but I'm really interested in industry or I have a product I want to develop. Is it, is it about following those podcasts and those courses to, to get those extra skills? I think definitely we have to be proactive. If we have a dream and we have something we want to go for, we have to be proactive and look at options and look at you know, how we can skill ourselves, how we can equip ourselves, who to connect with, who can give us some good advice. At the same time, is I often say this to my team, Yes, you learn how to drive, but you're not going to be 100% confident the first time you go into the car. You just have to go in mm. and drive it. And the more you drive a car, the more you know about a car. But then you know what to do with it, right? So it's a, I, I sort of took that approach, like, I'm never going to know everything, mm. right? I mean, till today, I'm still learning. Cause, we all are. Yeah. I, I say, right, people, every, every person is different. I tell all my team, like, you know, when you have kids, every kid is different. You, you're not going to get a manual that tells you exactly what to do with each person. Mm. So every day you're constantly learning. And I think it's reflect upon it and go, what did I learn about that? What did I learn about myself? How am I going to use that? What can I do better? What I should really not do because that's really not my area, my strengths. But see, this is my strengths. How can I use that? So I sort of took that approach mm. a lot more. So a willingness not only to learn, but also to try yes. and apply that. And so how did you find as a, as a woman going into this new role as a facility manager and in this business role, did you find any specific gender-related challenges or was it more just the challenge of moving into a new, almost a new occupation? I guess everywhere you go, you will have some of that gender-related challenges, you know, and we know that. Mm. And yes, I, I did have that in my earlier years where um, it can put you off and it can sort of make you feel like, you know, why am I doing this? I mean, in all honesty, 
the first years was really, really hard. I have times where I go like, do I want to do this? Can I do this? I have doubts and all that. But at the same time, like I say, you know, I'm quite determined. The more people tell me you this is not going to work. So because people do say to me, I give you a year, this is going to fail. Mm. You know, the more they say that to me, the more I'm like, I'm going to prove to you this is going to work. Yeah, watch me, watch yeah. me. Just, just, you know, just watch, this is yeah. going to work. So it's the same approach I took when I'm faced with people who go like, oh, because you're a woman, you know, mm. X, Y, Z, whatever reason. I just take that upon and go like, well, you know, I'll show you, I'll prove it to you, you know, mm. this, is, this will work. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit about then sort of building a bit of a thick skin, which I think is, is part of science in general, because we do get a lot of knockbacks and we do get a lot of rejections. Yeah, I don't know whether I'll call that building a bit of thick skin or I just say, you know, be authentic, be who mm-hmm. you are. I, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do, but I also know what I can't, I cannot do. Mm. And it's fair enough for you to tell me what you think I can or cannot do. You know, that's fine. But I, I am in the position to also tell you who I am. Mm. And I sort of, you know, approach it more that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic attitude to have. So what, you know, when you're managing these big teams and, and these big facilities, how do, you, how do you develop a leadership style and a management style? And was that something that just came naturally to you? Or did you just learn that as, as the position went on? Like I was saying that I was doing a lot of reading and learning and I actually was doing a lot of reading about leadership. Mm. You know, how do you develop leadership skills? How do you then develop yourself as a leader? How do you develop others as a leader? So I was reading some of those books and all and I really got interested and then that became one of my values is, you know, I want to build really strong teams. I want to build, you know, uh, leaders. I want to add value to people. And I think with that values, then that's how I went about building my teams, went about building the culture in um, protein expression facility. So it's, I call it, we have a very strong but a flat leadership in that sense where I often joke, like, if I get knocked down by the bus tomorrow and I don't turn up, it'll be fine. They know exactly what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So building a strong team. Yes. I could stay here talking to you for a long time, but I feel like I'm going to have to move to our quick fire round. So we've got our sort of quick questions that we ask every member of this podcast. So to start with, could you tell us which women or which woman has sort of been the biggest influence in your life, your biggest inspiration? Uh, I have to say that's my uh, grandmother. She's definitely my biggest influence. And she did live through the time where she was very, very young when we had World War II in Singapore. And also she was living through a time where, you know, women was looked at very differently, right? Mm. Cultural background too, that you have kids, that's your duty, you serve the family, etc. But what I really learned from her is like that generosity. She mm. really taught me about be generous with the little that you have and the much that you have. Just mm. give the best give the best to people. And I really like that. And also, she one thing that always stays in my mind is just remember that every action has a consequence mm. and think about it before you do it. So that really grounded me. Yeah, <laughs> true in both science and in society. Yes. So overall, do you think today women face fewer gender-related problems or is it just that it's shifted and the problems are now different? I think we have addressed some very obvious, unacceptable behaviours in this area, right? So we will call out if people say something really nasty Mm. or it's obvious gender bias. But 
there are other things that we face, other challenges. So I would say little things that is almost like the weight of a feather. But a ton of feather is still a ton of feather, if mm. you know what I mean. Exactly. So it can be a little comments here, and then the way people you know, say something to you or expect you to do it just because you know, you're a woman. So those little things, or you walk into the room you know, of a meeting and you're the only woman, and those little things adds up. And someday you go, oh, this, this ton of feather is just too heavy. Some days you go, that's fine, I can do it. So I would say it's more of those subtle little things. Mm. I think I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. And actually, I'm going to give away the fact I'm a big Disney fan. And there's this great quote in Milan where it's a single grain of rice can tip the scale. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right with that ton of feather analogy. My final question to you is then, what is the best piece of advice that you can give to the next generation of women in science? What would be the one thing that you would recommend? I would say find your passion and the purpose why you're doing what you're doing because if you're passionate about an area of science or you know the purpose of why you're doing it that's what's going to drive you so regardless of you know what is going to hit you because seriously my journey is full of mistakes you know but then that passion will keep you going and i think it keeps you authentic to who you are that's absolutely lovely. I'm just going to leave it there because that's the clearest message that we need. Be authentic and find your passion. So thank you so much for your time and chatting with me today. Thank you. This Women in Science podcast series is produced by Dr. Marluz Decker, Dr. Marina Fortes, Belinda McDougall and Matt Taylor. Technical production is by Daniel Seed. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Kirsty Short, and thank you for listening.